there. Today, last day of 2023. Yes, so I'm going to preach a message today that kind of gives us some vision for 2024. And some of you might remember uh, a few weeks back, I was up here preaching, and right in the middle of the sermon, I stopped and I said, I think God just gave me the word, our word for next year, and the word was greater, 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 greater. So I felt led for us to start this year off uh, with a sermon series called Greater. And uh, in my study this week, I first looked up the biblical meaning of the word greater. And uh, the Hebrew word for greater means larger in size, intensity, or importance. The New Testament Greek word for greater means abundantly more, over and above. And so then I looked up every time the word greater is used in the Bible in several different translations. And that's a lot of verses. It's a lot of verses. And there are a lot of biblical themes we could talk about, and we probably will talk about uh, in this upcoming series concerning greater. But I felt led, I really felt led to start off this year by, by talking about God and how God is greater than any of us can ever comprehend. No matter how great you think God is, he is greater. The New Living Translation of Job 36, 26 says this, God is greater than we can understand. God is greater than we can understand. That means all of us have a view of God that is, that is too small, that can be increased, that needs to be greater. And so what I'm going to be preaching on today is us enlarging our view of, of God. And, and, and I pray it's something that would, would, would be imparted to you today that for this next year, you will set your heart uh, on pilgrimage. You will set your heart on, on knowing God and, and making him known. You would set your heart on understanding and having a greater understanding of the Lord God Almighty. Now, how do you know if your view of God it needs to be greater? If it's too small, well, it's by the way you talk and the way you live. For instance, if, if you ever say, even God can't help me with this problem, you need a greater view of God because he is, in reality, he is all-powerful and nothing is too hard for him. If you live under guilt and condemnation, you need a greater view of God because the truth is God forgives all sin and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you live in fear, you need a greater view of God because the truth is that God is love and perfect love casts out all fear. And the greater revelation you have of God and his love and his goodness and his power, it will cast out the fear in your life. If you ever feel that you're alone in life, you need a greater view of God because the truth is he will never leave you or forsake you. If you ever think God doesn't understand, and you might not have ever thought that thought, but you really think that when you start trying to explain things to God. God, you know this and you know that, and you know, like, God, like you're going to inform God about something. See, the truth is God knows all, and he understands all. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. 
Our understanding has limits, but his ways are higher than, the, than ours. His thoughts are higher than, than ours. And, and, and so we, we're praying that this year we would have a, a greater uh, capacity to, to grow in understanding and, and knowing God. Uh, another way to know that your view of God needs to be greater is when you pray small prayers. God wants us to pray big, faith-filled, radical prayers that touch heaven and, and change earth and, and brings the power of heaven to earth. And too often we pray weak prayers like, like God, help me have a nice day. I mean, really, if that's your goal in life, you want to have a nice day, well, I hope you have a nice day. But you need to pray bigger prayers. <laughs> And the only way you can really do that is if you have a bigger view of God, a greater view of who God really is. That's why the Bible teaches us to magnify God. To magnify means to make greater, to cause something to appear larger, to increase the size or importance of something. Now, obviously, you cannot increase God's size or importance or greatness. There's no way for God to actually increase in any way because he is already infinite and without limit. He can't be gooder. He can't be greater. He can't be more loving. He can't be more kind. He can't be more powerful. He can't be more infinite. I mean, he is, he is all those things and it will never change. For example, Psalm 34, one through three says this, I will bless the Lord when times are good. I will bless the Lord when I'm walking in blessing. I will bless the Lord when all my kids are clothed and in their right mind. I will bless the Lord. No, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My praise shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt, lift up his name together. So if God cannot made any, be made any bigger, what does it mean when the Bible says, let's magnify the Lord? Well, the, the magni to magnify can be used in, in two different senses. It could mean to make something appear bigger than it really is. You do that with a microscope or a magnifying glass. I, I'm getting older, and sometimes when I'm reading the back of some packages or some bottles or something, uh, you know, you get a magnifying glass out to see it to, to make that fine print seem bigger. Or to magnify can mean to make something that may seem small or insignificant appear as big as it really is. That's what telescopes help us do. These stars that look so small in the heavens are, are actually huge in this vast universe that God are, are, are created, but telescopes can, can seem to make them bigger, even though they're bigger than even what that seems. And so there's two types of magnifying, microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. Microscope magnifying is making something small seem bigger. Telescope magnifying means to make a big thing look as big as it really is. So when God says to magnify the Lord, it does not mean make a small God look bigger than he is. It means take a look at this big God and begin to see him as big as he really is. There's nothing and no one greater than God and we must continually pursue, this is my vision for us this year, that we continually pursue a greater view of God and his greatness. 
Now, one of the enemy's plans is to deceive you into thinking that God is smaller than he really is. He works on us all the time. But our duty as Christians is to, to, to stand against that and to think in a, in a way and act in a way that will magnify God as we begin to see him as great as he really is. Another way of knowing that you need a greater view of God is if you have trouble praising God or worshiping God or giving to God. Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Listen, you'll never magnify God until you get thankful. You'll never become a praiser until you get thankful. You'll never become a worshiper until you get thankful. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving. It's the entryway. And we'll never see God greater until we are thankful for who he is and what he has already done in our lives. We must constantly remind ourselves of who God is and what he has done because we tend to forget the goodness of God. We sang about it today. I love that song. It just means so much to me that, that all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. We've got to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Isn't that why David said to himself in, in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. It's like, Joe, bless the Lord. And all that was in you, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We're called to magnify the greatness of God, but you can't magnify what you have never seen. And you can't magnify that which you quickly forget. So many people are like, yeah, God did this and God did that, but what have you done for me lately? That's why we got to constantly remind ourselves of the ways God has blessed us. And when we do, and when we remember the, the, the goodness and greatness of God, then we should turn that into thanksgiving. Turn it into thanksgiving and then declare that God is greater than anything. Magnify him. Now, there's a lot of different directions I could have gone in this sermon, but I felt led to address God's greatness in, in three areas. And, and I've taught you before several times that we all have the same three enemies in, in life, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We all face those three enemies. And I felt led to show you today how God is greater than all three of the enemies we face. We should not have fear of them. We should not give in to them. We should not be overcome by them because God is greater than all three. First, God is greater than the world. The world, when the New Testament says world, it's not talking about planet earth. There's a different word in the Greek for earth, but, 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 but the, the, the world is, is the current order of things on this planet, the human order. The, the Greek word is cosmos, which is the opposite of another Greek word, chaos. Chaos is disorder, but cosmos is order. And the theological dictionary of the New Testament says cosmos speaks of human order. And on the surface, that may not sound bad, but 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says Satan is the God of this world. 
Mankind was created to rule on earth, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that's called the fall of man. He fell from what the, the state he was in, and, and they forfeited their rule to Satan, and the domain originally delegated to man fell to Satan, who became what is called now the God of this age and the prince of this world. And so the cosmos, the present order, the systems that rule the world are under the destructive rule of Satan. And when you understand this, you will never blame God for any of the disorder and evil in this world, for in this sinful, confused, diseased, tragedy-ridden, tormented world. You will never blame God for that because Satan is the God of this world, of this present, of this present age, and this present darkness. And the interesting thing about that is that his, his order results in chaos. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are the children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's why we are in this war. There's a war. There's a war going on in the world. Satan is in control of all these worldly systems, including political system, education system, entertainment, media. He wants to rule over all these things. None of those things are wrong in themselves. They, they, they are good. But when Satan becomes God of them, they are designed to pull you and to pull your children away from God's truth and God's light into Satan's deception and darkness. It is a pull on this world, on these generations, like I've never seen in my lifetime. And, the, and just you can just see the pull of, of the world on these generations, like, like incredibly strong. But the Bible tells us how to overcome the world. In 1 John 4, 5, 4 through 5, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Listen, we do not have to be overcome by the world, by its system, by its ways, by its lies, by its delusions, by its deceptions, but it takes faith in Jesus to overcome the world. It takes faith in God's Word to overcome the enemy's Word. It takes faith in the Holy Spirit to overcome a worldly spirit, but through faith we can and win this, can and will win this war with the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus also said this in John 16, 33. This is the amplified version. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people do that when they're in tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Listen, I love this. I have deprived it of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. I love that. I love it. It's out there, but it doesn't have to rule over you. It doesn't have to rule over your family. It doesn't have to rule over your mind. It doesn't have to rule over your children. Listen, whatever the world throws at you, it threw at Jesus, and he overcame it on our behalf. He did it for you, and because of that, you can overcome the world's hate with God's love. You have something greater than the world's wisdom. You have God's wisdom. You have joy. Jesus has joy that's greater than the world's joy. He has power that is greater than the world's power. Everything about him is greater. So overcome the world of lies with the truth of God's word in Jesus' name. 
God is greater than the world. Secondly, God's greater than the flesh. We have met the enemy and he is us. The flesh is the unrenewed part of our soul that wants to live for self, wants to please itself. And the flesh is one reason why some people don't want to magnify God with thanksgiving. The reason is that when they do that, it detracts from their own glory. And people by nature love their own glory more than the glory of God. And it happens when people are more concerned about how they look in worship than focusing on God and how he looks in worship. You see, there, there's, when it comes to this, there's two types of people in the world, those who love to magnify God and those who love to magnify themselves. And one root of ingratitude is the love of oneself. Genuine gratitude admits we are all beneficiaries of an unearned gift. Beneficiary, beneficiary we, everything we receive is an undeserved gift because of the grace of God. But the natural man, remember the natural man is your enemy. There's a spiritual man and there's a natural man. That natural man thinks natural thoughts and worldly thoughts, and he, he hates to think of himself. The natural man hates to think of himself in terms of neediness and insufficiency and inability because that robs him of his glory. And when someone is in love with their own glory and their own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, they, and they hate to think of themselves as sin-sick and helpless, they will never feel any genuine gratitude for God, and so they will never magnify God only themselves. Listen, people who see themselves as little sinners will see Jesus as a little Savior. And the only antidote for this arrogance is to acknowledge that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. God is greater and our sin, and he is our savior. We can do nothing of ourselves, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so many people are upset because they feel insufficient. Guess what? You're insufficient. And the moment you think you're sufficient, you are off track. Because in and of yourself, you will never be sufficient. That's why the Bible says he, he has made us to be sufficient. He says none of us are sufficient in and of ourselves, but he makes us su sufficient as ministers of the gospel. And as soon as you think you're good enough, you're wise enough, you're, you're sufficient enough, you're great enough, you're righteous enough, you are totally off track. God is greater he is so much greater. And that, we've got to have that attitude that magnifies God rather than self. And listen, God wants to make a demand on us, a great demand on us. And the demand is that you stop trying to be great. You stop trying to be great in your own eyes and become small so that he might become great. 
That's what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. The, The New Living Translation of it says it this way. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. God demands something great from us, and that is to admit that we are not great, but he is the greatest. He is the great and living God. He is greater. This is bad news to arrogant people. But it's good news to the humble who are aware of their own unrighteousness and insufficiency and are seeking God for his righteousness and his sufficiency. See, another result of being in the flesh and focusing on ourselves and our insufficiency and failures is is condemnation. When we're under condemnation, we can't receive God's forgiveness. No matter what we hear, no matter how many times we hear it, we can't because we're believing these lies. But God wants you to know the greater truth of the forgiveness that he freely offers you because when your sins are forgiven by God, the Bible says he forgets them. He remembers them no more. So all the past, with all its hurts, with all its pain, with all its brokenness, with all its sin, with all this self-condemnation is gone, dead, and remembered no more. God forgives, God forgets, and if God forgives and forgets, why are you remembering it and letting it hold you back? How long do you worry about bills you've already paid? Could you imagine me going to my wife and saying, man, that electric bill last month, that was the, do you know that bill was the highest electric bill we ever had? That thing is bothering me. And she would say, well, didn't we pay it? Yeah, we paid it, but man, it was just so big. It's just bother me. I wouldn't worry about a bill that's already been paid. Come on. Christ has already paid for every sin you will ever commit. It is finished. It is paid in full. How many sins have you already committed when Jesus died on the cross? None yet. None of us were born. But his sacrifice was for every sin you have committed or will ever commit. So accept God's forgiveness in in the name of Jesus. Resist condemnation in the name of Jesus. And when you do struggle with condemnation, remember this verse. I love this verse. 1 John 3, 20 through 21. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Don't you love that? And he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Listen, if your heart uh, uh, does not condemn you, you have faith. You have confidence. But if you are under condemnation, if your heart does condemn you, it shows that there's a lack of faith, a lack of confidence in what God has done. It's strange because I know when you're condemned, your focus is on you, right? 
I'm so bad. I'm this loser. I did all this. I'll, I'll never get any better. I, I, I don't know why I call myself a Christian. I mean, it's all these lies and all these lies. And the focus is all on you. And, and if your focus is all on you, you will stay in the place of condemnation until you understand God is greater than your heart. God knows all things, including the fact that he has already forgiven you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some of our unrighteousness. Most of our unrighteousness. All except that one that keeps tripping you up. No, all unrighteousness. When are you going to believe the word of God? When are you going to believe God's word over what the enemy is telling you? When are you going to believe the word of God over what your own heart is telling you? Some people cannot seem to accept the fact that God has forgiven them. They think they need to add something to it. Oh, really? What can you add to the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ and the grace of God? They think they've gone too far or they can't be forgiven. It, it's really, think about this. It's some kind of twisted fleshly pride to believe your sin is too great for God to forgive. Oh, really? God has forgiven all the rest of us, but you, you are the, at this place that, that God can't forgive you? Listen have, listen, have faith in God that he is greater than your heart, greater than your sin, greater than all you've ever done. And, and that, that when he says he forgives you, believe you that believe him that he forgives you God is greater than the world God is greater than the flesh man I wish I was out there getting to hear this sermon today <laughs> lastly God's greater than the devil Amen. Satan is a liar I've had actually I've actually had people come to me this is the truth for counseling. And they say, oh, Pastor Joe, the devil's been lying to me. <laughs> the devil's been lying to you. Yeah. What did he tell you? This, this, and this. Okay. So the devil tells you that. And it's a lie. What's the problem? <laughs> the problem is they're believing the lie of the devil. Satan is a liar. And some of his biggest lies are about himself. He lies. He wants people, for his, for his biggest lie is to make people think he does not exist. Oh, he loves it when people think he doesn't exist. And if he can't convince them of that, of that his other big lie is then that he is as big and as powerful as God and can overpower Christians any times he wants to. That lie keeps even some believers terrorized. Listen, we need a true picture of Satan and his demons. We don't need to fall into the error, error of either overestimating or underestimating Satan and his power. We've got to know the truth of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Satan is not now never has been and never will be God's equal. God has always been, is now, and always will be greater. 
Yes, we have to stay alert to demonic attacks because his, his attacks are pervasive and they're persistent. But listen, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's only in one place at one time. But he has an army of demons, of fallen angels who, who do his bidding. Revelation 12 shows that Satan led a third of the angels in a rebellion against God. They were cast out of heaven. They're what, these fallen angels are what we now call demons. And as beings created by God, Satan and his demons are lesser than God. They have less power, less authority, less wisdom, less knowledge, less everything except for evil. And as a created being, Satan's power is limited by the authority of God and what God permits. He will never be equal to God. He was created by God and God can take him out at any time. And when the time comes, he will. In Revelation 1, 17 through 18, Jesus said, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has a power over death and, and hell. And, and he has the key, but he can give it to others. Listen, for instance, in Revelation 21 through 3, it says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were, uh, ended, were ended. I love that passage because people think that Satan is so strong and that he's this powerful being and all the angels of heaven cannot even stand against him. But listen, when the end comes, it takes one, 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 not an arm me, not a legion, not a multitude. It takes one angel to grab him by the throat, chain him up, and throw him into the abyss. Satan is limited. He is judged. He is condemned. He's reserved for judgment. His outcome is certain, although the process right now seems tedious and slow, but he's destined to fail in his rebellion against God. He was defeated and disarmed at the cross of Christ, and his final defeat is sure. That final defeat will happen according to Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God has a power and authority and Satan's power and authority is not equal to his. And the amazing thing is God has given us authority over Satan. And remember... Don't ever forget it. Greater is he that's in you. You need to remember that. It's not you. It's the one in you. Greater is he that's in you. Get your eyes off yourself. You're never going to have a right view of God or the devil if your eyes are always on yourself. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You've got to wage spiritual warfare from, for, against the enemy, but thank God, in actuality, he's already defeated. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, God took every sin that we would ever commit, everything that was against us, and nailed it to the cross of Christ. And not only that, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He's talking about Satan and his demons here, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Christ has defeated and disarmed the enemy we fight. The only weapon he has are his words. Think about what does Satan do? He deceives, he lies, he accuses, he condemns. It's all about words. But, but we don't have to fear him. We don't have to try to fight for victory because we fight from a place of victory that Jesus already won. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Listen, Satan has some power, but God has all power. Satan has some knowledge. Knowledge, but God has all knowledge. Satan can only be one place at one time, but God is everywhere all the time. Satan's time is limited, but God is eternal. Satan's full of hate, but God is full of love. Satan is full of depression, but God is full of joy. Satan will steal your peace, but Jesus is your prince of peace. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we may have life and life more abundant, abundant life now and eternal life forever, and all because our our God is greater than everything. God is greater than the world. God is greater than the flesh. God is greater than Satan. God is greater than everything in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can you stand to your feet and give him some thanks and give him some praise? He's greater. He is greater. Can you say he's greater? He's greater than anything. Man, I am telling you, we need this greater view of God because so many of us are living beneath what God, how God wants us to live and we're allowing ourselves to be ruled by the world and the flesh and the devil when we're the ones that ought to be ruling over them. God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us, God, for when we, when we have a small view of you, when we see you so small and your power so small and your wisdom so small and your grace so small. God, forgive us, God. Forgive us. Deliver us from that way of thinking. God, open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, God, to, to receive you and a greater vision, a greater revelation, Lord, of who you are, of your greatness, of your greatness and your power over all our enemies. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for coming to earth, we just celebrated that, but you came to die, to save us. You came to defeat the works of the enemy, to disarm him. Thank you for the authority you've given us. God, let us learn to walk in it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen going to ask our prayer team to come down. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, today is a day of salvation. You won't have the power to overcome anything without Jesus in you. If you need to be born again, come today and give your life to Christ. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you need a healing, if you need a prayer for someone to help you from be set free from deception you believe or you need to pray for somebody else or whatever it is, come on down. We believe in the power of prayer. If you can be here tonight for this uh, watch night service, that would be awesome. Love you so much. We'll sing one more song and we'll be dismissed.